I think that you'll look around in our world and see that a lot of people are ready to be angry and a lot of people are ready to be unkind. So I would say that to, to be go-ready initially is to share kindness. You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast for Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California. Well, good morning. As uh, Pastor said, we've hit that time of year when the Bible readings that we have and all the themes that we have uh, in our Sunday worship services, they focus on the end times, the last days, and in particular that last day when Jesus will arrive again. And again, we'll be working through this week and the next few weeks, we'll be working through Matthew chapter 25 and taking a deep dive into that just to see what that day is going to be like and how we should live between now and then. Now, if you've been attending a Lutheran church or for that matter, if you've been attending a Christian church for any amount of time, you've probably heard a lot about that topic, about the end times and the last day. But before we jump into all of that, I want to share a little bit of a personal note. You see, when I was a young kid, I almost always had some questions that would pop into my mind when we heard these Bible passages about the end times in the last day. And it seemed to me at the time that I never really heard satisfactory answers to those questions. And that bothered me a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong, I have a great deal of respect for my pastor and for the teachers that I had at the church where I grew up, Uh, and it's quite possible that since I was a kid and easily distracted by things, that maybe somebody did provide the answers and I just wasn't paying attention at the right time. But here's the point. The kinds of passages that we read today and will be reading for the next few weeks, they, they generate questions in people's minds. And honestly, if we don't take some time to address those questions, if we sort of pass over them too quickly, we, we run the risk of, of teaching some wrong things. On the other hand, if we take some time to answer some of those questions, and maybe if it means to answer them again, uh, we're quite likely to learn some, some really good and really healthy lessons along the way. And I want to begin with what I think is a profound and important question that must be addressed at the outset. And that question is, should we be afraid? Mr. Kagan touched on that a little bit in the song that he just taught us, and we can get an answer to that from our uh, reading from Thessalonians. You see, when Paul wrote that letter to a group of Christians called the Thessalonians, they were living in the first century in the Roman Empire, and they too had lots of questions about that day when Jesus would return. And we can tell from the tone of Paul's letter that the Thessalonians were confused and maybe even a little bit afraid. And Paul's primary goal was to encourage them and to comfort them. You see, like many Christians throughout history, including you and me, I'm sure, these Thessalonians knew about and they trusted steadfastly in Jesus' promise to return. But they looked around at their world, which seemed to be getting crazier every day. They looked around at their world filled with pain and conflict and struggle and tribulation and death even, and they began to wonder, why hasn't Jesus returned? It all looked kind of scary, and they began to wonder, should we be afraid? Should we be afraid for ourselves? And more importantly, they were worried about their loved ones who had died in the faith before Jesus came back. Should we be afraid about all of that? 
And then the sort of the, the question that was also behind all that is, well, besides being afraid or not being afraid, what should we do between now and the time when Jesus does finally come back? And so at the beginning of this letter, Paul begins to address that question. And he starts with a very, very important reminder. On account of faith in Jesus, he says, on account of our faith in Jesus, on account of our complete confidence and steadfast trust in Jesus' promise, we need to remember this. Jesus, Paul says, has rescued us and continues to rescue us from God's coming anger. So in that sense, no. You do not need to be afraid. And we need that assurance and we need that reminder before we go any further into this. No matter how bad things get in these last days, and they are the last days, no matter how great the tribulations in our lives get, and there have been and continue to be great tribulations, despite all of that, people of faith do not need to fear God's wrath, not today, not tomorrow, not on that last day, and not on any day in between. Now, by contrast, it's not easy to talk about the other side of that coin, but the Old Testament prophet Amos tells us what it will be like for people who don't have trust in Jesus, for people who place their trust in something else. In that case, Amos says, the day of the Lord is one of darkness and not light. It is like a person who flees from a lion only to be attacked by a bear. It is like a person who goes home and puts his hand on a wall only to be bitten by a snake. The day of the Lord brings darkness and not light. It is pitch black. There is no light. Friends, with that reminder, clearly God's wrath is a very real thing, and it's way worse than any tribulation we might be experiencing today, but Paul reminds us that it is not and will not be directed at people who trust in Jesus. In some sense, it's just that simple. And if you've never heard that before, if for some reason you are sitting here or, or listening online and you've never heard that profound truth before, I want to invite you to stick around and to ask us some questions. Ask all the questions you want because you see, at the end of all this, it's actually really good news and there's enough good news for everybody. And with that news then, let's do, let's jump into our text from Matthew's Gospel. There, Jesus was telling a parable, describing in his own words what it will be like when the end comes. And the main point of that parable, I'm assuming you've heard that one before, the main point of that parable is to answer the one big question, what should we do between now and then? In that sense, it's a very simple parable, but if you had questions about the details of this parable as you heard it again, you wouldn't be alone. Christians throughout all time over the course of centuries have asked many questions about this particular parable. Most of the questions that people ask revolve around that wedding that is a backdrop to the entire parable. Where was the groom coming from? Where was he going? Was it customary for, for grooms to be on sort of some great journey and have some sort of great entry with all of the bridesmaids? And did that happen at night? We don't, you know, we have these questions and we're just not sure. And then the, the, what I think is the elephant in the room question in this parable is, where's the bride in all of this? 
We get a lot of information about the bridesmaids and the bridegroom, but where is the bride? The answer to those kinds of questions might be a little bit unsatisfying, but it's a twofold answer. The answer is, we don't know, and it doesn't matter. (laughs) Hate to say it. We just don't have enough information to know what weddings were like in Jesus' day. Now, I suspect personally that there wasn't some sort of bridegroom traveling at night, but we don't know. And we don't know where the bride is either because Jesus doesn't say. Whether we like it or not, we don't know about all of those details and they don't really matter because they don't get us any closer to the point that Jesus was making. Now, having said that, if you remember as you heard that story, if you remember that the Bible describes Jesus as a bridegroom in other places, and the Bible describes his church, his church everywhere on earth and throughout time as the bride, well, you're right, but Jesus doesn't seem to be talking about the church in this particular parable. He's talking about what it will be like when the end comes, and I think we need to stay on that point. Yes, he's capable of teaching about more than, things, more than one thing at once, but we need to stay on the point that he's talking about. The questions about the wedding and all of that, they have to be set aside. But there is one other question that some of you may be pondering as you heard that parable, and it's a question that is helpful. What's up with those wise bridesmaids and why didn't they share with the others? Show of hands, how many of you have always wondered about that? Uh, It's just me. Well, I'm gonna keep going. What's up with that? How come the bridesmaids didn't share? Isn't sharing part of what it means to be a Christian, even if it means sharing in a sacrificial kind of way? That question, my friends, does matter. It does get us closer to what Jesus is talking about in this parable. You see, that day when the end comes is going to be a definitive day. And on that day, Jesus will judge between those who have faith and those who don't. And when the end comes, the time for us to share will have passed. And with that rather jolting news, I think it's jolting anyway, Jesus then gets to his final point. Between now and then, Jesus says, we are to stay awake because we don't know when that day will come. So we've kind of sorted through most of the questions and we're left with one basic answer. I suspect you've heard this answer before. We know that Jesus will come again. Just as surely as he said he would be killed on a cross and rise to new life on the third day, and he did, so too did he say he will come again, and he will. And we know that when he does, it'll be a definitive moment. It'll be the end. It'll be the last day. We just don't know when that's going to be. Between now and then, we need not fear God's wrath, and we are to stay awake. Again, if you've been a believer for a while, I know that you've heard that before, and honestly, I hope you've heard it before several times, and I imagine that you're probably going to hear it several more times, because in all of the craziness of this world, it's easy to be distracted from all of that. So for the next few minutes, though, let's ponder that that eternal Lutheran question, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for us living here in California in the 21st century? It might be a slightly different answer than it meant for the people in Thessalonica.
I want to use this as a starting point, though. Staying awake that Jesus is talking about, it requires some action. It requires an activity. If I sit down on my comfy couch at home and try to stay awake, I will eventually become drowsy and fall asleep. It's a comfy couch. Similarly, we know that God's wrath is not directed at us, and so we might try to ignore or sidestep all of the things that are going on in this crazy world. Knowing that God will judge in our favor when he comes back, we might just sit back on a little comfy couch of our own and passively and quietly wait for that day of judgment. But my friends, you know this, that's not, not at all what Jesus was talking about in this parable. Yes, I know, the bridesmaids fell asleep. All of the bridesmaids fell asleep, even the wise ones. But again, this parable is teaching about when the end comes. It's not quite a lesson on how to behave before that. But I would say this, in order to stay awake before the end comes, we were going to need to get off of our comfy couch. While we wait for those last days, yes, we can be confidently ready for his return. We also need to be going about our work and our days, too. And that's why I've titled this sermon, We Need to Be Go-Ready. We get ready for a lot of things in this world, don't we? This morning, we all got ready for church. And we might get ready for a big sporting event by putting on all the right clothes and, and having maybe even a tailgate party. And of course, when my wife was pregnant with our son, we packed a bag so that we could be ready when it was time to give birth. Staying awake, like getting ready, involves a doing. It involves even a going. To stay awake is to be go-ready. And at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has more words for us. He says, as we are going about our days, we are to be making disciples of people. Again, we can't do that from our comfy couch sitting at home. So as I wrap up this morning, I have a few ideas that I think might help us live a go-ready kind of life. First, let's remember that since Jesus hasn't come back, we are still in that time when sharing is required of us. Here's the thing, I'm not trying to be a pessimist here, but I think that you'll look around at our world and see that a lot of people are ready to be angry and a lot of people are ready to be unkind. So I would say that to, to be go-ready initially is to share kindness. And I suspect many of us are in that same mode where we get off our couch in the morning and we're already ready to not share kindness. But I would suggest this. As we go about our days and go about our work, as soon as we start to feel that little bit of frustration, as soon as we start to feel that tension, as soon as we start to think about what we're going to speak and what we're going to do that's not kind, let's pause, let's stop, and let's ask God to show us ways to insert kindness into the situation. That takes a little bit of thought and a little bit of effort to do that. But I have to tell you this, I put that idea into practice just a little more than a week ago. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but I found myself in one of those difficult situations with a person that I had never met before. And I still don't know to this day if that person is a believer or not. 
but it was one of those kinds of situations where in our culture, it's quite likely to drag out with a lot of unkindness and a lot of tension for months. But it didn't work that way because as soon as we found ourselves in this situation, both of us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, immediately began to insert kindness into the situation. And instead of it dragging out for weeks and months, it was all resolved within four days to everybody's satisfaction. And we continued to exchange text back and forth, uh, supporting one another, encouraging one another, thanking one another, and it's in a genuine and helpful way. To share kindness, my friends, is part of what it means to be go-ready. And related to that, I think that maybe we can find more opportunities to share forgiveness. Mr. Kagan talked about that as well. And I mean that sort of in a twofold kind of way. Yes, absolutely, we can share the forgiveness that Jesus offers. We know that Jesus tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we know that we love ourselves enough to allow ourselves to bask in the forgiveness of Jesus so we can love our neighbors in that same way by telling them about the forgiveness that Jesus offers to them as well. But I also mean that we can take advantage of opportunities to share our own forgiveness with each other. In our culture, when someone apologizes to us, we usually answer by saying something, oh, it's okay, or don't worry about it, or don't give it another thought. And, and, and we talked about this in an, in an elders retreat a couple months ago. And those are all good responses. It's okay, don't worry about it. But what if instead, when someone apologizes to us, we, we look them in the eyes and we said, I forgive you. And then we mean it like Jesus means it when he says that to us. Sharing forgiveness is also a part of what it means to be go-ready. And finally, I think we need to take advantage of opportunities to share in each other's lives, to share in our joys and our struggles and our pains and our sorrows. Uh, my friends, you know the Bible tells us all about this, encourages us to love one another and to share in each other's lives. And after Christmas, you're going to have the opportunity to do something exactly like this in the Rooted experience. If you haven't already signed up for Rooted, I want to encourage you to head out afterward and sign up for it. The Rooted experience isn't just another Bible study. Better said, it, the Rooted experience is an experience, and it's much more than a Bible study. I personally have seen how that experience has transformed and developed and deepened relationships among brothers and sisters in a community. So, Rooted will help you. It'll help you support one another in all of the craziness of the world. It'll help you encourage one another for a go-ready kind of living. Sharing kindness, sharing forgiveness, and sharing in each other's lives. That probably isn't an exhaustive list of what it means to stay awake. It's probably not a complete list of that go-ready life. In fact, Mr. Kagan had several other ideas in there, praying and worshiping. But those things, forgiveness, kindness, and sharing in each other's lives, that's a really good start. Remember this, my friends, in one sense, because of our faith in Jesus, we are already ready for that last day. But in another sense, we need to be ready to go, and we need to be go-ready to go about our lives 
in a way that meets the people and the craziness of this world with the love of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. A video archive of our online worship services, including today's message, can be found on our YouTube channel and at www.bethanylutheran.org. Links for both of these are in the show notes. If you would like to support this podcast with the ministry of Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California, you can text the word GIVE to 562-210-0463. That's GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 562-210-0463. We pray that you have a wonderful and blessed week.